Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 123 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. If you're worried about getting your bees prepared for autumn and winter, then stay tuned for some simple advice to help take the worry out of those long winter nights. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypore Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypore Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypore. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypore Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Another week and August is slipping by quickly. I woke this morning and felt a distinct but subtle change in the air. As I got into the truck to head up to my allotment, it struck me that there was a much fresher feel to the air and I noticed quite a lot of condensation on the windscreen. That's not to say that summer is gone, but it certainly had a feel of a shift in conditions. We've actually just come through a period of quite unsettled weather, with some very high temperatures and thundery downpours. I got caught out by one just a day ago, and it decimated my giant dahlia flowers. We don't have much of a front garden here at home. It's all shingle with a small flower bed in the middle, literally a metre square. But this year I planted some dahlias in it, and they've been fantastic. We've had some enormous flower heads, but with that comes the risk that in a heavy downpour they get shot to pieces. There were petals everywhere, and that's just what happened yesterday. I'd been meaning to stake them up for a week or so, but, well, you know how it is with beekeeping, never any time to do anything other than beekeeping work. All I can do now is clean up the damage, prune them back a bit, and hope they flower again before the frosts kick in. There we are, I said it, frosts. It won't be long, and if you don't start thinking about feeding your bees now, You may wake up one morning and think about this podcast message regretting that you spent your time staking up dahlia flowers when you should have been out feeding your bees. But hang on a second, it's not as simple as all that, I hear you say, and you're quite right. Gone are the days of set routines, of treatments and feeding, or both at the same time. There are so many options now. It's no wonder that particularly new beekeepers get confused. It's confusing enough for the more experienced beekeepers out there. Let's just try to unravel some of the complications here and look at it from a simplistic point of view. I find beekeeping is fundamentally a simple hobby, totally confused by well-meaning, experienced beekeepers who need new beekeepers to understand just how complicated beekeeping is because they've been keeping bees for 40 years and still cock it up. Although they won't admit to that, of course, mostly. Um, Apart from yours truly, I'm always getting it wrong and quite happy to hold my hand up and explain what I've done or haven't done as the case may be. So where to start? Well, one question. That's all, just one question. What do the bees need to get through the winter? And we can list most everything that they need, and you can even write it down as a prompt to tick off when you look at your own colonies. It's not a big list, I promise. 
Tick box number one, somewhere weatherproof to see out the long, cold days and nights of winter. I'm talking about the bees here, not you. Actually, here in Norfolk, we don't get too many long, cold days and nights anymore. But for those of you in chillier climes, and that's not just here in the UK, your bees need to be safe and secure. And that means a well-constructed, waterproof, draft-proof beehive of whatever type is your preference. I recently had someone criticise me on Facebook because apparently I only have eyes for the Langstroth hive these days. Well, it's true, I do find them becoming a favourite, but I also have commercial hives that I rate very highly. National Deeps, that's the 14 by 12s which are okay, but not top of my list. However, they do work very well. Nationals, Perfectly acceptable beehives, probably the most popular beehive here in the UK. But personally, I do find them a little on the small size for the modern cross of honeybee with the larger brood nest requirements. Oh, and don't forget the top bar hive, which I have to say I absolutely love. We all have our favourite beehive, and I'm lucky enough to be able to demonstrate a range of different types on my videos. Maybe this winter we'll see if there's a different one we could try. I can just imagine the groans from Steph and Pete at that suggestion. Anyway, that's for another podcast. So, back to the tick boxes. Box one, ticked. All of our hives are in great condition, and any honeybee colony would be more than happy to overwinter in them. Tick box two, is the colony queen right? By this, I mean, do you have a laying queen and a brood nest that has brood in all stages? This is really something for your inspections now as you go about ticking all the other boxes. We'll come on to those in a minute or two. There is a chance colonies may try to supersede the old queen at this time of the year. That's to say, the colony will produce a new queen, not for the purposes of swarming, but in order to ensure that they have a strong egg-laying queen to see them through the winter and into the spring. If you go into your beehives now and see a queen cell positioned somewhere mid-frame, leave it well alone. Now remember, this is beekeeping, so the queen cell could be at the top of the frame or to the side of the frame, but generally there will only be one. Maybe two, but they're not generally found on the bottom of the frames at this time of the year. Often, I've opened a colony to find the original queen with a coloured dot on her thorax, and alongside her is her daughter queen, unmarked and also laying eggs. It's not unusual, but often a bit of a surprise for new beekeepers. Just let them get on with doing what they do, and in the spring you'll likely as not find that the old queen has gone missing and the young daughter is happily laying eggs at the head of the colony. So, let's assume that we have a queen right colony. Box number two, ticked. Box number three, is the colony healthy? Here I'm talking about a reduction in varroa numbers mostly by the use of autumn treatments. It's probably the biggest threat to the colony generally as we head into the winter. If you think back to the summer months, we've had giant colonies of bees, large brood nests full of developing larvae and hidden within Varroa mites also building up into larger and larger numbers. At this time of the year, we start seeing the brood nest slowly shrinking back, reducing in size in preparation for the winter. Less brood 
means a bit of a bun fight for all those varroa mites trying to get into a worker cell to reproduce. So the percentage of cells occupied by varroa increases and the damage done to your workers means a reduction in strength and their ability to survive through to spring next year. You won't see the damage now. You probably won't see the damage at Christmas. But you will see it in late February and early March when your oh-so-strong colony from August last season has dwindled down to just a pint glass-sized colony unable to keep themselves warm enough to survive. If you haven't treated your bees yet, don't delay any further. Get it done. Of course, if you're lucky enough to have varroa-resistant bees, then you're in a minority of beekeepers who can sit back and watch. For everyone else, make sure your bees are healthy going into the autumn. Box ticked. Box number four, and here we are at today's main point of focus. Have your bees got enough food to see them through to next spring? If you know your bees and know how much to feed them to get them through, then you're probably in a minority and congratulations, no late night worries for you. Lots of other beekeepers, myself included, will still be wondering if we've done enough come November and I, like so many other beekeepers, will have a few boxes of fondant at the ready just in case. And here's why it can be so tricky. Not all bee colonies are equal. It's as simple as that. Different subspecies and crosses will be more frugal than others. Some will eat all you can give them and still demand more. So how do you manage the situation? Well, here's what I do, rightly or wrongly, to ensure that my bees have enough stores for the winter. When the honey comes off, I'm straight into the brood box to check their current stores. This we did in late July and early August. That was a week or two ago. Those colonies appearing low on food were given a feeder and heavy sugar syrup. In fact, to be honest, we gave a mix of syrups. I still have some of the Appy Mix, which is a light syrup, and some colonies got that because that's what I had. It's still warm enough out there for them to evaporate the excess water away, so no damage has been done. I wouldn't want to feed a light syrup in October, though, so if you're feeding that late, give them heavy syrup. The reason I'm feeding right now is twofold. Firstly, and most significantly, I don't want my bees to starve. I think that's fairly reasonable. Here in the UK, if you're registered with the National Bee Unit, you may even have had a warning to check your brood boxes to make sure your bees do have enough food. So it's obviously a widespread problem this season, and another good reason to register with Bee Base. The second reason I'm feeding now is to fill up empty cells with food for the bees to overwinter with. They'll generally fill the outside frames first and cap them over. And this is significant for me because in just a week or two, the early ivy will start to flower. And that can mean trouble for some colonies over the winter months. You see, ivy honey granulates rapidly. The bees barely have time to cap it over and it's solid. Now, some colonies can cope with this, while others really struggle. So it goes back to the same issues as colonies being frugal or varroa-resistant. It's all down to the genetics. What I have found over the years is that the colonies unable to cope with ivy granulation get trapped on the wrong side of a frame of ivy honey and can't seem to get past it to the other side and more liquid food. They sit tight and starve to death. 
So one of the reasons for feeding now is I get to plug up a lot of the cells with liquid food that won't granulate, and that gets done before the ivy flowers. Later in the autumn, when the ivy nectar really starts to come in, it gets stored closer to the brood nest, where it remains covered with bees and stays warmer and thus easier for the bees to utilise. Now that all sounds simple, right? Well, I would add a caveat to consider. For me, feeding right now is a stopgap and it isn't their main winter feed. The reason for this is if I keep feeding sugar syrup now, the bees will keep storing it whenever and more importantly, wherever they can. This has the consequence of reducing the area the queen can lay her eggs and reduces the size of the colony heading into the darker months. So I feed a reasonable amount now, maybe 8 to 10 kilos of syrup. This allows the bees to fill a larger area of comb but doesn't feed so much that the queen runs out of places to lay her eggs. I then pause for a couple of weeks and sometime in the first couple of weeks of September, I'll start feeding again, giving another 8-10 kilos of syrup. If you keep feeding regardless of what space the bees have, you may well kill them with kindness. There is a lot of information out there that's very general, and it will cover a whole range of different topics in terms of feeding in the autumn. Most of the colonies will be fine with around 20-25 to 25 kilos of stores through the winter, Remember, that's not all sugar syrup in most cases. That's honey that they've already stored and the additional syrup that you've given them. So we're not looking to feed a total of 25 kilos of sugar syrup. Then, of course, we have the backup of the fondant that we can feed if we think they need it. For me, the method of feeding I've just described works great for pretty much all of my colonies. There will always be some that need a little bit more attention, and I do that on an ad hoc basis. This routine is one I was told a number of years ago and most experienced beekeepers will have their own way of dealing with winter preparations. Remember, some beekeepers will still have bees out on forage and filling supers, so they won't be treating or feeding anytime soon. So do take into account your bees and your local conditions. Chat with other local beekeepers to find out what they're planning to do, but ultimately, choose a setup that suits you and your bees and run with it. As I said, there's always fondant available to feed if you think you've got it wrong and underfed them. So, four areas you can easily check over the next week or two to ensure that your bees have the very best chance to get through the winter and into next spring full of vigour and ready to go. Now is also the time to reduce inspections. In fact, a lot of beekeepers might just stop altogether now and not begin inspecting again until next spring. That just sounds really awful, doesn't it? But when you think about it, what else do you really need to be doing in your beehive? All of the major work should be done by now. Colonies are winding down and preparing themselves for winter. And it's just time for us to have a quick think about those last minute jobs. A last replacement frame or perhaps uniting a couple of smaller colonies. One question that I get asked regularly every year at this time is very specific to national beehives. The national brood box can be a little on the small side and the colony needs a little extra space in the form of a super placed with the brood box having first removed the queen excluder. 
But the question is, where do you put the super? Does it go above the brood box or beneath the brood box? Well, once again, we are likely to have a difference of opinion, but for the sake of throwing my hat into the ring, I would say that for all our national brood boxes that are not on double brood, I always place the super between the floor and the brood box. So that's beneath the brood box. I do this for two reasons. Firstly, I find that lifting the brood box a little higher above the floor makes me feel the bees are a little further away from any cold drafts that might blow under the floor. I am using open mesh floors throughout, and I don't insert the Varroa board for the winter months at all. Secondly, I very rarely find the queen has moved down into the super and started laying eggs in the spring. So I can easily swap the super back up above the brood box with the queen excluder replaced between them. When I used to experiment with the position, I often found the queen had moved higher into the super and started laying eggs in there, making it more difficult to manage in the spring. It's this point, I'm sure, we'll keep beekeepers discussing over their beers at virtual beekeeping meetings as we head into the autumn period. Just to add, this is why I prefer the commercial brood box over the national. I don't need to leave a super on it, as the commercial has plenty of room for both bees and food for the winter. Well, that's it for another week. If you haven't yet checked out all of this season's videos so far, do pop over to my Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.